This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Forrest and Dr. Drew. Here we are. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gather around your iPhone. Get ready. Get Grandma out of the back room. Get everybody and get them off their iPads. And you can listen, listen to, to us on the, you can listen to us on the iPad too. But uh, welcome again. Uh, this life. Yeah, thank you. This life with a very special episode today. We have Cheryl Errett, who is a licensed clinical psychologist, a PsyD. Uh, and I've worked with Cheryl for many years. I'm very impressed with her abilities. And one of the things we're going to get into today is trauma. And we thank you for being here. And you're representing Alliant because yes. you taught there, or did you train there too? I trained at CSPP, and then the I California also, School of Professional Psychology. I was yeah. also an adjunct, assistant adjunct professor. I, I have a deep roots with uh, Alliant and CSPP. I, I have lectured there. I have worked alongside of their students in their clinical rotations for. Forever, you did too. Yeah, a decade too. and a half. Remember all that Everybody. was the, Bobby Thomas used to supervise them all, and they were some of them were. were you ended up you ended up hiring Carlson, yeah, you ended up hiring, hiring some like of them. Of them. <laughs> but they used to freak out when they'd sit in my group because I say I don't really care what they're feeling right now. Ah. <laughs> <And> they, <laughs> it would, they, you just see them tilt their head a little bit because they're just going around in a psych hospital where oh, yeah. everybody cares what everybody feels, yeah. and in our unit it was like it'll change in about eleven minutes. Yeah, you got their attention. <laughs> no, no, the feelings wash all. All over the place, and to address that, we have another a man who washes feelings all over. <laughs> Very special guest, Tom Arnold. Tom, welcome. Hey, buddy, it's an honor to be here and uh, talk to you guys. And uh, you've helped me out so many times. And uh, oh boy, what are we doing today? So, so Tom and I did uh, his podcast. You can get it uh, at Podcast One. It is 100 percent honest for the mo- say it again for the most part. 100 no. percent honest. Pretty much. Pretty Although much. When you were on, I had to be 100% honest. We are, we've gotten time. you back to 100% audience anyway, which yeah. is awesome. And, uh, in, you know, we, in that particular podcast that's up, I believe, right now, you certainly get it right now, uh, Tom talked about his recent struggle with pharmaceutical medication, which uh, the, it's the forgotten epidemic, which is the benzodiazepine epidemic. And uh, you should know that Bob has very worked up about this today. Oh my goodness! Oh, boy. So, yeah. so Tom, you oh, and I known Carrie. I known Carrie for maybe thirty years. Carrie Fisher. Yeah, and it yes, came out. Me too. Me too. The autopsy stuff came out this week, and I was yes. shocked. Not heart attack. I was shocked. Not heart yes. attack. That means she was taking. When they're saying, let me interpret what we know so far. What they've said, it may be the complications of sleep apnea. The only way you die from sleep apnea is it, drugs. Medication. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so Tom, you and I, yeah. I don't know if you remember, in the 80s with Timmons. Uh, oh, of course you I know, do. Yeah. Course. So I've been around this yeah. thing as long as you. 
And, yes. w- and back in the 80s when I got introduced to sobriety, sobriety was sobriety. Yeah. And everybody knew yeah. what it was. Yeah. And now, yeah. 30 years later, it's just scrambled around like nobody knows what it you is You know what's anymore. weird? I was thinking about this uh, today. Is that only the alcoholics get to have sobriety again. They've reclaimed sobriety. From, <laughs> right. it's like, it was originally designed for alcoholics. They got it because they're not messing around with the doctors. But the drug addicts have been usurped by, by the doctors be, because of how dangerous it is, to be fair, right? Yeah. And then, but then right. that's not how you got uh, – you get dragged. Well, let me – to be fair, in, Chris, in Chris's case, when you're an intravenous speedballing addict and you stay sober for 8, 10 years – Valium yeah. seems like nothing. Yeah, well. And you think you can control it. I mean, I, I've had several friends go off that deep end, including Tom Arnold. <laughs> so, so. Right, exactly, exactly. So tell us exactly. that, that thinking. Tell us yes. exactly how you think. The first time you go to the doctor's office, you know what you're doing is wrong, don't you, Tom? Uh, you do, you... You hope yeah. not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know what? You, uh, you hope not. You, uh, you know, I'm a man that's, that's taken a 20-year cake. So I, do, I know how to do things right, and then I know how to be slippery. And I also know, and, it, and it's a, it, it, I also sit and listen to people I sponsor tell, say things that apparently I'm not, are not registering in my own head because <laughs> I end up doing the exact, you know, and I, I'm, I'm like, oh, no, I don't. I'm not a opiate guy. That will never happen to me. Yeah. Or benzo. I would never take a benzo because that that'll make me fat yeah. or whatever. <laughs> and they're and they're dying, but there's and I'm seeing it, but it did, doesn't register uh, once again because I'm not working that great program. And you know, I I, I spent and you know with Chris Cordell the same thing. I mean, we we had so many great. We were both doing great. At meetings and had so much fun, and he, you know, we're doing so great. And, uh, and Drew put me in touch with uh, with his wife, and who is a wonderful woman, a normie. And you know, as we, and my, and his, my, her and my wife are going to talk. Oh, good. That's coming. oh, that's perfect. But perfect. but it it the slippery, you know. And I'm telling you, I've seen it a, a lot of meetings. I've seen. I've there's a kid, you know, that and he's like. Yeah, I'm, uh, and he's helped, he helped me. I, I tried to, I got him to help me do an intervention, you know, because I wanted him to, uh, he got five years, and he came through. He was a heroin guy that thought he would never get over it, never lose the obsession, and he's just stuck with it. I'm so proud of him. And then I said, that's great. He, and I said, what are you doing tonight? He goes, I'm, what do I do every night? I'm going to take a sleeping pill, oh. and then I'm going to go <laughs> to sleep. You do. Like, oh, my God. What are the rules again? What are they, what's happening? I know. You what know? are the rules again? But, but, it, but Bob is getting coming over to a, a point of view that I've been, I would say, advocating or championing, but concerned about for many years, which is it's my peers. That are perpetrating this, they because they they're don't, the middlemen. This they is how I they, see it. Follow the money. They don't understand addiction, though. They have Follow no the idea money, what. Though it's, I feel like doctor, Jesus. Don't judge them. They know not what they do. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive them. How can a doctor, Tom? You know, you live in Brentwood yes. still. You live in uh, by I live, No, I live in Beverly Hills. Oh, okay, I, I but where you used yeah. to live, right there in Brentwood yes. Village. There's a doctor there. 
He's an addictionologist. Well, that doesn't mean anything. He has anymore. three offices, one in Brentwood, one in Beverly Hills, one in Malibu. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. Mm-hmm. And he has 250 clients per, and they're all on Suboxone. And he charges $500 a month to see him to re-up the Suboxone. Crazy. Times 750 times 500. Is that real money? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I understand. That's wow. the Suboxone. That's better thing. than working at Kaiser as a, as a doctor, isn't it? Way better. That's the Suboxone wow. deal. And, and, uh, the, but they don't know what they're doing they, they think they're saving right. lives i've he's a friend of mine i've talked to him he thinks he's saving their lives by giving them no life well in in some respects that's the trade-off right? i know but we need to get to an adult conversation in this country yeah i know about what is life uh, well dude you're, you're <laughs> far. Let's, let's, right. go, let's go back to tom though and, but again i want to refer people over to the 100 percent honest pretty much pretty much 100 pretty much because yeah. we get into the benzo thing in great, great, great detail. But today, we brought Cheryl together with Tom because one of the missing pieces in some people's recovery is trauma treatment. And and it's yeah. kind of a complicated phenomenon. I can tell you why. Well, because you can't do anything about it until we've been sober a Because there's a flight while. to health. At five years, you think you're cured. You're fine. You're yeah. normal. You're so, high so they functioning. Don't want, they don't want so to do it. So at the time when it starts to gurgle up, in me, I was forced to. My life collapsed at four and a half years sober. So, and Drew was my boss. Oh, <laughs> was that, that was, was lucky, that right? <laughs> didn't, didn't seem like it at the time. Well. So I go to this therapist. He's a developmental psychologist. So he's walking me through the developmental stages. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I was in the infancy stage. <laughs> Okay. You should have been four or five at that point from the I don't know how thing, I right? stayed. It was rock and roll that kept me infancy. Uh, I see. Fair enough. So, and it was painful and it felt, and it was boring and it felt I kept it a secret from my sober friends. Oh yeah, like you know. So, so let's let's talk about it. So one of the so, problems. Here's here's some of the issues on the table. And sure, I'll let you. May, may, may I say one thing though, Drew? Please. It all. And it, this is this is me telling on me. Uh, a couple months ago, or two months, two and a half months ago, Drew was on my podcast again, and out of the blue, he says to me, "You know, your son is is turning four soon." And that's going to be trouble for you because that's when everything went to hell for you. Your mom left. You were turned over to the pedophile. Uh, you were whatever. And I, I said, he goes, you better, you better be on top of that. And I laughed. And I was like, oh, I'm taking care. Oh, I, I took care of that a long time ago. I took, that, uh, I took it, care of that in 89 when I got sober. Uh, no, but here, yeah, yeah. Tom is and, even uh, more. Yeah. There's more Two Tommy. weeks after my son turned four. I was in rehab and working on trauma stuff. <laughs> oh. So okay. So so okay, you got the message. You got it. Yeah. But yeah. but uh, Tom has even a, a more interesting phenomenon. He did tra- this very very vivid traumatic reenactment, which where he could never last a relationship. Uh, the almost a four year birthday of every relationship he turned. It was every every was magic every number. woman I was with. It lasted four years. My four engagements and my uh, four marriages. Wow. And that and that and one and, and of course it took me a little bit to figure that out because well you got to have a lot of four years to see the pattern yeah, he had to experiment he had to do but what a powerful thing for you to be doing something to really get out in front of that so that you can have more than four years doing things you want to do well I mean you, as as everybody knows that's uh, uh, trauma therapy okay. At first, you're like, well, you know, this. What is this? What is this? 
new age. How could this be real? How could this be? Oh boy, I'm just going to have to surrender. Uh, this just doesn't seem. How could this possibly help? Uh, this is, you know. And the next thing that I noticed was uh, the uh, the woman was sitting next to me with her head on my shoulder, saying, "Feel your tears." And, and I go, "I'm not crying." And she goes, "Yes, you are." Oh <laughs> wow! What is happening? Wow. What is happening to me? Well, you know what? So, I, I, I had a little trauma treatment myself too, and the what it ha- what is happening feeling is very characteristic. Because yeah. because you're wiring into a part of your brain or visiting a part of your brain that's been sitting there for a long time. Right. It's a part of you, but you didn't know it. And well, and it's actually by design because trauma memories are undigested. Yeah. And they're so yeah. supercharged and we get so triggered when we bump up against those that we tend to create our lives very carefully to not feel. Well, not Those just our things. life. I, I would argue our, our very wiring of our brain. Exactly. We have, I always felt like I have a jump around. Like, you know, in a, you can take a wire and put it here and put it there, uh-huh. and it will jump around this, these other yeah. wires. Yeah. That's what yeah. I have. Because who wants to feel that, right? Yeah. My therapist, Tom, <laughs> said to me, when's the last time you cried? And I was like, I, you know, I feel feelings. <laughs> and he said, the last yeah. time you cried deeply. Yeah. Deeply and mourned your childhood, and really, you know what it means. And I remember I had been, I was 19, it was at my mother's funeral, right? Mm-hmm. right. I was 40 at this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I looked at my therapist uh, at about, about eight years in, and I said, You know, I think I've been depressed for the last three years mourning all this. Mm-hmm. She goes, Yeah, pretty much. And I go, Whoa, yeah. it takes a while to get through it. But yeah. go ahead, Tom, finish your experience. Well, I keep thinking, I kept saying, why, when, it, when that topic for crying first came up, I'm like, why do you want me to cry? Why, why, what does that do? And by the way, uh, uh, I have found that women that say, well, I'd, boy, I'd really like it if, if you cried. Yeah, you cry one too many times in front of a woman, and, and you're that guy. So I, I try to space it. I, I, don't, I couldn't remember the last time that, that uh, I had cried. But, but, it, but then I, I'm going to let you guys talk, but I have to say this. As soon as they started going to the memory of the first time that I was dropped off, walked over to this man's house. Because <laughs> I was still not believing it. I could smell the laundry that was on the line. I knew exactly yeah. what was hanging there as we got to the door. Yeah. I knew what that front room smelled like. I knew that the, what the this sort of, not, not a box, but this wooden thing that he would put me into, uh, I, I mean everything. It was like it, it was like it happened. It was happening right there. Well, it, so that convinced me. Perhaps, perhaps I needed this. <laughs> yeah. But there's two things about trauma: is that it, it's happening all the time. It's it, your body is the memory for it, and so it happens continuously. It never goes away. That's part well, of trauma. One way of understanding it is that your fight or flight system gets disconnected from the present. Yeah. So you yeah. forget how to tell when you're safe. Yeah. So what kind of, do you mind my asking, Tom? Before you ask that question, okay. one more thing I want to say is that I've realized lately, I was, I was musing about uh, doing some training with, for some residents or medical students, and I thought, God, I can remember every day of my training. Like, I can remember, the, <laughs> I remember the, the look, the, the eyebrows, how the, how the facial movements of every one of my attendings and residents. I thought, yeah. what the hell? I said, oh, they traumatized the shit out of me. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was in trauma all the time. And you know what? Good. 
that's how you that's how you train somebody. The military does the same thing. Yeah, that's that's how you train certain certain kinds of things. I, I tend to think there's an optimal window though of anxiety. If whatever you're too was, anxious, it was or good. Too, it was good. Anyway, you, you had great question. training. Yes, um, Tom, I'm I'm curious about what there are. There are several different very good forms of trauma therapy, and I'm curious about what. Sounds like EMDR. Um, are you too. doing EMDR? Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. That's Yay. what it is. Is that Levine? Is that the guy that wrote the book? Yeah, Robert Levine. Yeah, he's amazing. Peter Levine? Yeah, Peter, yeah. Oh, you're yeah, right. He's I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. Peter Levine. Uh, Peter Levine is amazing and and yes. does EMDR and has his own somatic work that you know. That I, he give, does I give. I give. Uh, remember, wake the tiger. Or it's yeah. Called, yeah. Like, oh, that's there. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I, I give that book to every patient. Yeah, remember the, in the oh, celebrity yes. rehab. Yeah, yeah, no, on the and, other and, show, I thought. Yeah, I, everybody no, I give yeah. to everybody, and and very few people read it. They read. Yeah. Oh. I remember Sean Young read it and went, "Oh yeah, I'm not ready." By, <laughs> so by Ling okay. read it, I think. Really? Wow. So, but one of the things that I always think of, like we can talk on podcasts and we can be Los Angeles and and whatever, but how how we translate this to the massive millions of people in the United States that have suffered trauma. Yeah, what they're I think doing they instead. they don't believe in therapy. Yes. They're doing they instead is they're getting the internet and acting out we as a need, mob. We need... That's see, doing well, one thing that I think is it doesn't really matter. Just have faith and go. Because when you say this therapy over that therapy, people get confused. Like, right. I don't know what therapy I was in. I just know that after seven or eight years of that, I was a different person and and you, you, could love my children. That's the only so thing I cared about. Therapy. That's the only care, yeah. thing I cared about. That's was feeling important. love for my children. Right? I, right. Yeah. I, you know, I, I really appreciate the perspective that you have. As a trauma therapist, I, I really feel like it's important when you go that you go to somebody who really knows specifically about trauma. I agree. Um, and there are lots of good forms of trauma therapy, but the one that the military did for the longest and the one that is really most established is something called prolonged exposure therapy that is very rough to go through mm-hmm. and can really help some people, but also uh, can increase the negative symptoms in some people. In, in a way, EMDR is kind of in that same zone, isn't it? Because you're re-exposing to the traumas, They're but actually, you're doing it different. Well, well, it's, but see, it's one different. thing can I say, I don't mean to interrupt, okay. but but one thing, you, Drew says it all the time, he doesn't have to be an addict to be able to help addicts. He doesn't have to have cancer to be able to, to cure, treat, help, cancer. treat cancer, right? Mm-hmm. I, I believe that it's not so important that the, the patient, like myself, understand what therapy they're in or whatever, as long as it's somebody right. they have attachment with yeah. that's knowledgeable. Yeah. That, that yes. and, and one thing you got to understand, it's every 20 visits you have to get authorized by your insurance. Oh, I know. It's crazy. I so, know. so I think sometimes when we're in the helping field, we kind of are talking to a vacuum of elite people who yeah. can afford right. that kind of care. It can sound like splitting and, hairs, and, too, Yeah, and I want people to technique. get therapy no matter what it is, just to talk to somebody right. because despair death is the leading cause of death of, of men in their uh, white males in their 50s. Take a little break on that happy note. <laughs> Tom, uh, Tom, <laughs> Tom. Hang in there, Tom. Tom, you'll be fine. You'll be all right. <laughs> Stay honest, man. 100% honest, pretty much. Uh, Tom Arnold, Cheryl, Eric, uh, CSPP, Alliant. Check it out on our website. We'll take a little break. Be right back. Now, one of the most amazing parts of working in treatment is seeing a number of former patients successfully move on and choose to become mental health professionals themselves. 
Yes, I've seen it. And the field of psychology is vast. And the need for competent practitioners has not been greater and never been greater. If you're considering this rewarding career, I suggest you look at the California School of Professional Psychology at Alliant University. I've been familiar with Alliant for some time now. I've spoken at their events. It was founded in 1969, boasts an alumni network of nearly 50,000 people worldwide. Alliant has fostered many of today's mental health pioneers, authors, and advocates. CSPP at Alliant University hosts both on-ground and online programs in business psychology, marriage and family therapy, clinical counseling. They also offer an APA-accredited doctoral program in clinical psychology that allows for specialization in child psychology, clinical forensic psychology, and integrated psychology. Faculty is industry leaders. Former faculty includes names like Abraham Maslow, Carl Rogers, Viktor Frankl. Come on now. Those are names everyone's heard, some of the fathers of modern psychology. For more information on the California School of Professional Psychology at Alliant, check the Alliant banner on my site or visit Alliant, A-L-L-I-A-N-T, dot E-D-U. That is Alliant, dot E-D-U. A couple months ago, I introduced you to Refill Wise. It's a prescription saving card you can get right now on your phone for free. And I was thrilled to hear many of you did so. You signed up, and that some of you have saved as much as $150 at every pharmacy visit. We heard these stories and we appreciate them. Now, if you already have your RefillWise card on your phone, remember you can't save unless you use it. You've got to use the card on your phone. Just open the message, show it to your pharmacist next time you get a prescription filled. It is as easy as that. Just say, what can you do with this? Because it you know, they'll give you. They'll decide for you what's the least expensive alternative. If you haven't done it yet, grab your phone and text Drew to the number two two eight two two. Immediately, your refill wise card will be sent to your screen. It's really fast. Just that's the word Drew D R W to a number two two eight two two. And if you have an insurance, you might actually save more with the refill wise card. And if you don't need the card today, chances are you know someone who's struggling with high cost of medication. Aren't we all now? Help them out by telling them about the refill wise card. We appreciate that. Also excited to say that for every Wefill Wise user, every new user, they will donate a dollar to the Prostate Cancer Foundation. That is a charity that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, and I, I want you to learn more about Refill Wise. You can see if your medication could be covered. Just visit refillwise.com. Let's go ahead. Just let's do it now. Start saving right now. Text Drew. That is Drew to the number two two eight two two. Message and data rates may apply. Refill Wise. <laughs> Okay, uh, uh, we're back. That's, of course, our friends at Alliant and CSPP at the California School of Professional Psychology. We're, uh, bo- all three of us worked very de- very. For all the nine years yeah. that I worked with Drew, we had students in our rehab the whole time from and, your place. And I lectured there, and you found right? the training good? I loved it. Yeah. I really loved it. I, I went there after going to UCLA. Mm. And so I had, sort of clinical stuff? I had great research training mm. initially, but I really wanted to go for graduate school to a place where people were actually working with people to help their lives and coming back and saying, hey, somebody came in last week and this happened and this is what works and really loved the clinical piece. And I really got that. And, and, I, and I, every time I flash on Cheryl and the magnitude of her professional training, and it, she's got tremendous training. I have to out her. I have to out her. And uh, hey, Tom, do you remember the Burger King commercials oh from the seventies? The <laughs> Burger King girl with the yellow and red hat. <laughs> that the, yes, that's Cheryl. That's why you oh look so God. familiar. <laughs> <laughs> I saw her right outside in the car, and I was like, "Well, she used to be on HLN all the time with us." Too. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking that up on the internet. Oh, right now. oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> you love that Burger King. I love stuff. that. <laughs> you're, you're so good at it. It's so I. Rem- it's part of my like adolescence. Lessons. I remember yeah. it vividly. Oh my God. So, Part of my adolescence was listening to Love Lines. So we're even. So there you go. Have, 
So, so we're back talking about trauma, Cheryl. But, uh, but, but mostly, I just really think that that talking is something that's lost in our in our helping field. Both medical doctors used to talk to people. Yeah. Now they don't talk to people. The the American public obviously suffers deep trauma. I don't know why or how. Interpersonal Drew's, trauma. Drew's just just. It's suspicious there's more abuse than I want to believe I was exposed, there is. Bob, I was exposed to it yeah. through Loveline. It's all it's I did. It was so fast. unbelievable. The millions and millions. And so do, much do more the the Adverse Childhood story. Experience study by this famous California Kaiser Adverse Childhood Experience yeah, study. I've re- uh, yeah, the no, A I read study. about it. The A yeah. study is like, what is it, 65% of their yeah. patients had significant. Like, and then one <laughs> in two females have been sexually... Yeah. And so uh, just do the math. It's do the so horrible. What is wrong with our society? Well, Tom, what do you say? Well, I also think if you look at politics these days, the people's reactions on both sides yeah. are so overblown. Yeah. There's some kind of trauma going on. Yeah. They're, they're acting as though they, they've, they, they've been victims of trauma, and yeah. they're acting out this way, yep. you know, which is, which is you know, why, why I want to get better, because I, I have acted out. You know, I have responded to things as though I was, you know, not quite the same, but similar to being raped by that guy, you know, like yeah. what, I, what I've been with, uh, especially dealings with men, yep. uh, you know, in uh, physical situation or, uh, you know, where tense situations. Um, and so, because it, it get it's, you know, you, I, I want to fix that so I could deal, you know, <laughs> it's like a, I could keep it like it should be. No, I'm, I'm 100% and, with you. I mean, the last time, in my humble estimation, the last time, that a population of children were so severely traumatized and then some giant political changes happened it was 1790 France. And that did not go so well. But when you see these mobs emerge and it's traumatized people connecting over their trauma and then acting out on one, the, the guillotine, whatever, the, the, right. the losing the job, whatever it might be, Kathy Griffin, yeah. blah, 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 here it goes. It is extremely destructive and very dangerous. And I admire you, Tom, for, for looking at it that way. What does your friend Arnold, if you ever talk to him about this kind of thing, what does he think? You know, it's so it's so interesting. Uh, uh, you know, back uh, when uh, uh, George, uh, I'll tell you guys this. Uh, back between uh, George Bush, uh, uh, George W. Bush's first term and second term, uh, I, I went over to his house. I got called over to his house, and uh, I was sitting. Uh, you know, Arnold's a Republican. I love Arnold. I support Arnold. I campaigned for Arnold. He's a he's a great. Uh, I, I support both good people on both sides. Yeah. But uh, the George W.'s campaign managers were there. And uh, they sat me down, and, and they said, "How do we do an intervention?" Uh oh. And I and I said, "They they had no idea, Arnold. You know, all these guys. They said there's been a problem, and uh, and I never, you know, I, the only reason I mention it now is because uh, it was told to a to a big reporter at the, the Washington Post, uh, and and uh, but but what I found fascinating was my friend Arnold went like this to me. And he was sincere. Oh my God! What, what, a, what an idiot! He's got the best job in the world. He's got the best job in the world, and, 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 he, and he starts drinking again. How can that? Be, how stupid is that? And, and, and I said, No, no, no! How how can he not start drinking? Right, right. That's why. That's, that's how addicts think. Yeah, well, it's not, the most stressful yeah. job in the world. How could you not do that? Not, not only stressful. You got it wrong. Think about, think said, about all the magical. And I made those guys, and they were so look at me, and they were sincerely trying to. They were nice. But they had no idea about addiction. Tom, is, said, Tom has a way. 
You have a What's way. That? You have a way because you're so kind of bringing up subjects that I I was well aware of that, and I wasn't the yes. biggest supporter. And I just compartmentalized the way I said it's not fair to talk about that. That's his personal right. business. It was weird. Well, well here's the well, deal. you know, I did it. I'm a Democrat. I could have if I was, but then I knew I would relapse. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm not going to share this. Yeah. But I also felt compassion for the man. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I guess that's know, what that, I had. Get, get his wife involved. Get whatever, yeah. whatever. And then suddenly he's he's. It's I'm reminded he's like me. Yeah. And once you realize somebody is like you. And, uh, boy, you have so much compassion for him. But, but all those guys, probably, there was a uh, congressman, a senator, Arnold, that, who was the governor. There was a, a, I said, you please study addiction. It's a disease. Please help me do something about it. Please learn something, guys. Yeah. But, you know, from this, you know, because they were so naive. And it was such a moral thing to them. Ugh. And Arnold has really come around on that and is helping I'll me. Bet he has. You know. But think about it. But think about how, how if you're the president, how you feel special, entitled, justified, stressed. No, all, the, all the reasons. With, who, who, who's going who's gonna to be your peer? Who's going to come up to you and go, hey, man, let's talk? Right. <laughs> yeah, could, exactly. I could, I could see it in his eyes. I could see it in oh, his yeah, eyes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he didn't choke on a pretzel. Let's put it that way, or or whatever. Yeah. But I had so much compassion for him because I was like, you know, if if, if I was the, suddenly the president, I mean, who do you? What's your? You know, everything's got to be a secret. It, yeah. It's just so. Ugh. So anyway, well, yeah, when you it, read but, but, the you know, Betty think, Ford, when you read about what they went through with Betty Ford yeah. in the White oh, House, yeah. it was unbelievable. I, I'm wondering right. when we're going to hear about poor. Uh, what's Trump's son's name? Uh, oh yeah, Baron. yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Baron, Baron. No, no, Baron. The young one. I'm wondering when. Oh, the. Oh, this video game. I'm just concerned. It's like every American kid. Oh, the youngest. One. Well, well, you know, the, the Eric. You know, the reason. Uh, maybe five years ago, uh, Trump kicked him out of the family. Eric is the is dodgier than Eric. And my friends brought him to Maui, and I think that he had a drink or two. I think that uh, that's why he was kicked out because. The, well, there's, I, a, there's Trump, a family history of it. The oh, brother yeah. died. Right. The brother died of right. alcoholism. Yeah. Yeah. But when I hear Trump talk about his brother, Fred, yeah. the humanity that he has, yeah. he, I don't see that in any other aspect of his life. But when he talks about his love for his brother, who had everything, but he was an alcoholic, and, I mean, he talks truly in a compassionate way. And it makes it's the nicest I ever hear him talk. And then so... So this kid had screwed up like every kid, like people screw up. Yeah. And so I spent every day, because I was hosting little groups of things over there in at Maui, uh, talking to him about, you know, well, you know, you know how dads are and, and this and that. And, you know, he had to work his way back into that weird family. We all have weird families, by the way. I was yeah. explaining to him. And, and uh, uh, but, but, you know, that's, it's a... Yeah, you know, again, you know, hey, Tom, it's, uh, Tom, can I ask you one thing? You know so many families, and you're just like a guy that people trust and talk to. Drew and I have been going back and forth about the Trumps, right? So my right. thing is, Drew's thing is he's not as sick a narcissist as we all think because his kids love him. I know a lot of showbiz narcissists whose kids love them. I yeah. know it doesn't make it, clinical sense, but can you well, maybe Cheryl, elaborate Cheryl on that. the family system when you have a, 
a full-blown narcissist, yeah, usually the children Tom, rebel Tom, from Tom that. Tom first, Tom first. Yeah. This is what, the, you, know, you know, people talk about unconditional love, and people can talk about, yo, you get that in marriage. Well, you really don't. No offense, Susan Drew. Uh, <laughs> you know, there are conditions. There are conditions. But what we do, but that baby is born. They're going to love you no matter. You can be the worst dad in the world or the best dad. So you might as well be the best dad because that kid's going to love you. And I have been around them enough. You know, I've known him for 30 years. I have treated, he has treated all of them, including Don Jr., like dirt. Uh. And in front of people. And uh, they love him. And we all know, we all know how that goes. And he has a favorite. And it's very obvious who the favorite is. And uh, it's not healthy. And, you know, if it's, uh, he's not a guy, and he's it's admitted. He had nothing to do with raising them or, you know, he let the mothers do that. He doesn't show up for, you know, their birthday. <laughs> they don't do anything on Father's Day. But they they love him, and it's sort so of why? weird. So now we have a therapist. Him. Why that family? Let's not think of it as who it is. Just that what that family he just described, what's the trauma going on there, and why is there the attachment to the abuser and all that kind of stuff? Well, people attach to trauma. Well, there are multiple layers and possibilities to all of this, and um, without diagnosing anybody, oh, there, no. there are, there are, um, when somebody does have a pathological narcissistic kind of character, and they have children, they can very often experience their children as a narcissistic extension, extension of, of themselves. Self. That's what's going on in LA all so, over the place. I, I would yeah. argue that I would argue that's the American parenting strategy that went, can, went bad that's it, why we have so much trouble right now but go ahead it 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 can be so there there is in a sense he he wants to aggrandize them and control them and make them make him proud but when you have access to those kinds of resources and you know that the carrot is very significant but the stick is so brutal I mean, we see what happens in this situation where anybody even doesn't um, – I've heard him describe disloyalty as there were positive things people could do to help, and they didn't do them. And so, therefore, they're disloyal to me. That's a very broad definition of disloyalty. The the incentive to not incur the wrath, I think, in certain circumstances is so intense that uh, it can really shape – a person's behavior, and I imagine there's probably a lot of walking on eggshells. Yeah, going. that's what well, I think. What, what, what I've seen, you know, Don Jr. is seems to be the most, uh, you know, the, the, the top dog about, amongst the kids, but I have seen it. I have been in a room where I, uh, all of a sudden Don, John, Don Jr. makes a little, like, a, a, a comment, and man, you know, like, yeah, not making fun of his father, but something that his father says, and then he makes or rolls his eyes or whatever, and the the stick that he's hit with, he is put down so hard. It's like you will be, re, you will remember that you are below me immediately, mm-hmm. and it's brutal. And and, and 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 what they have to, what they're dealing with now is, you know, the the, the their sister who he just admires, they she, her husband who is probably going to go to prison, he, he's giving him all his love, the, the son-in-law. And so the sons are, they're been, they're, they've been kind of pushed out. I mean, they go around, they talk about it, but in, in real life, they're not around him. 
Wow. He's around the son-in-law who's married to the that daughter. That could be a blessing or a curse, actually. <laughs> it reminds me yeah. so much of Andrew Jackson and the stuff he used to pull. Oh, really? No, this yeah. was his deal. This so is- let's go to another family dysfunction. My mom was a borderline, right? Mm-hmm. My sisters right. loved her. My dad was an alcoholic. I idolize, right? And there's been this lifetime mis completely different interpretations of a family system. Do you find that that's normal? Oh, yeah. To have different interpretations yes. from within the family? Yes. Absolutely. So then why are the Trumps so aligned? Because you couldn't get me and my sisters to agree about anything about our parents, probably. And yet there's this alignment and a following of orders. And Drew had said it's because he can't be as sick as we think he is. No, no, no. Oh, well, oh, not, that, not that issue. That issue, I think, is more about the carrot. The carrot is so big. I feel, and I also feel like, and this is true from, you know, my friend was his, his, his executive producer for 12 years. He's the guy that talks to him between every take. He knew, they knew that he only remembered the last 10 seconds of anything you ever said to him. You could talk to him for five minutes, but he only remembered the last 10 seconds. The kids feel they need to help him. So it's that, that switch. You're trying to figure out a way to get the love. And then you're trying to, and now you're like, I'm going to protect I'm going to protect this guy. I'm going to protect my father, and then he'll feel the love that way, and then he'll love me back. And, then, and that's mm-hmm. really what, what's going on. And, you know, in my family, because we have a mixed family, you know, it is just, just can't, you know. I only talk to a couple people, you know, because I, uh, I, I was open about a uh, – we've had a bunch of suicides in my family, and I, I work with – you know, the veteran commits suicide every 45 minutes. So yeah, I'm sure you know that. Yeah. And, and yeah. I'm sure you know post-traumatic stress. I'm sure you deal with all this stuff. And, and, and those are issues I care about. My, my nephew is a veteran. It happened. I, I wrote about it. It was – you know, everything's a family secret, and I really found out what people really thought of me. And, uh, and you know, uh, and, and it put an awkward – you know, because some people were, were were blood related to to some to my stepmother and some weren't, and you know, my father had passed away, and so. But it also helped me because then I knew immediately. Well, I've been thinking that I was, you know, part of this group of people for so many years, and I really haven't been. Uh, from day one, I was ostracized because right? I was the oldest kid. But the day my dad buried the next door neighbor when I was. 10, I was out. And so, this, can we just I, stop I for a second? This, this is in the heartland, the good old heartland, Iowa. Drew. This yeah. is in Iowa where yeah. all people are smart and good. Oh, I know. It's that, the same yeah. stuff that goes on in L.A. Conway had that, remember? He, he was the absolutely. Yeah. And it's so crazy yeah. that we have to have these idealized people that live in the Midwest. And then I always think of Tom and some of the bands that I knew from Minneapolis. I'm like, Jesus. like Tom, they, <laughs> you've been through so much. So much. And yep. I'm so impressed with your openness, your vulnerability, your seeking the truth and daring to find it. I just think that is really extraordinary. And yes, there will be some people when you speak your truth who will have a hard time with it and will try to punish you. But it takes yep. such courage and it leads to healing. And I just think it's wonderful. Which He's always doing. been Hang like on. this, have though. React, react to that, though. Go ahead, Tom. What? You know, I mean, I, I, I consider it, I mean, I wish that, that uh, it, it, uh, December 10th, 1989 was my sobriety date. I wish that. Or maybe in 86 when I went to my first meeting. 
uh, that would make because then I could say I've been sober, whatever. You know, I wish that I had it, had had uh, relapsed uh, on opiates uh, after my motorcycle wreck, and I wish that I had relapsed on benzos and and lost my mind and had to deal with that. And by the way, that detox from benzos, oh my God, you doctor, you were yeah, right. It's, it's terrible. horrible. It's terrible. But I also can speak to all of that now, and I. I can speak honestly, and people could make fun of me or criticize or whatever, but you know, it's a. a it's, I think it's an advantage, and I think uh, it's not an advantage that I did it, but it's an advantage that we can all say we're flawed. You know, the, that that uh, Bob's talking about being four and a half years sober and then having issues and then needing trauma therapy and just having to surrender to this weird thing that involves crying, you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, no, I mean, I get, it's you know, true. you say that it's, it just, you know, it, it, it helps people because it's, it's foreign to, to people. Can we just you know? be funny it, for a second it, about no, the crying? B- before you do, I, I, I want people to <laughs> roll the tape back if you have to, and listen to the way Cheryl talked to Tom. That's what's called a holding environment. And we talked about how, you know, if you have a good therapist or not, yeah. Try to tune into the feeling that she was creating for Tom in that moment. That's what you're looking for. It's also therapy. what salesmen do. Well, <laughs> it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> what? It, it is. It's. It's. That wasn't what I was going. I know that you weren't. I know that you weren't. But people are not unfamiliar with these things. They are around. No, us. no, no. Listen. That that that. Then, then you then you missed it. Because I saw it. I no, knew what no, she was, was doing. What she was hearing is what the feeling that is being generated and the the, the quality of the environment that allows for safety that you know you've got a deeply caring safe environment that it's not just hey man just tell me your thoughts it's and it's not about talking no it was reinforcing him no no that no, that no, he's so too courageous many too many words too many words already it, it was a feeling state it was loaded with a bunch of words but there was a feeling of holding and that's what yeah. you're looking for right yeah i i i you know now I think about that, and I'm playing this back. And I also noticed I was getting louder, you know, you know more emotional as I was. Whatever she said, yeah, yeah, it just it it. Uh, okay, yeah, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna continue with my therapy. Okay, okay. I just wanted you to know That's that good. I I see something in you. That is really valuable, and that that's makes, another piece of all this, by the way, being it, seen and being felt it, and all that. That's what you're looking right. for. And therapy. there are so many men, in particular, who've experienced abuse, particularly sexual abuse, trauma, those kinds of things, who are so. Uh, listen, I think emotional abuse by the parents too is something that's completely flushed under the rug. Oh, it's it's all it's yeah. all really significant. Yeah. But but to have men like Tom be able to speak up and speak out in the way that he is can make it safer for a lot of guys in the Midwest or elsewhere to say, yeah, that's me too. Yeah. And the fact that it went imperfectly to get sober. And, and I think, you know, he didn't give up. I he tried again. I think men have been traumatized by their moms in the last 20, 30 years or so. I think we really have been more than we're willing to like admit. Right. You know, so we have lo- a long history in this field of blaming the moms. No, not blaming. Not, okay. I'm not blaming. No. I don't want to create another, another, I don't want to create another victim. I understand. Moms doing the best they could, whatever. But I, but the men, I don't think we. I don't know at the time because a lot of your stories around your mom, and it's hard yeah. to it's hard to admit that right because you don't you idealize right. mom. Right, it, it is it is it is. Uh, it, it, but you know when she did die, uh, I did feel 
you know, I did that thing where I wrote uh, my therapist uh, what I'm mad about on half of the paper, which was you banded me, you did the other stuff, and then what I'm grateful for, and I'm like, what, what can I be grateful for this woman for? She, and then I realized, oh, I'm grateful she left She left me with my dad. Who was so it's the same thing. And so I, you know, I, uh, I, I took her, I paid off her seventh husband, who was already getting married two weeks after she died, and, and moved her uh, to my grandparents where they were buried and, and uh and I think I made peace with that because I am half her. I mean, you know, she was an alcoholic and, and that half that half flares up and I have to acknowledge that. And uh but I will tell you this and I this sounds this I don't want to sound horrible, but I had a, a male uh, therapist, a great male trauma therapist. I went you know, as you're auditing people and I could tell it was gonna be I couldn't do it with him. But I could with the woman. Yeah. Because I, I I have such a deference, like a, and you know, not put on a pedestal, but it's, you know, I mean, I, you know, uh, with men, you just I just there's a way of dealing with it, men that I understand. Yeah. With women, you know, it's just a, you know, I it just it felt safer and and it was something I was missing maybe. You, you and, know what I can, and I, I could, could be vulnerable same, in front of her. I had the same experience in therapy and, and it's okay. it's and I and I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean that's why I feel so connected to you. But I know I know exactly what that is and it's why we both reacted to Cheryl's thing and Bob didn't so much. Right. But you want right. to make go ahead and make fun of it. Go ahead and Tom Bob wanted to say something. I'm making fun of it. You want to make you said she I'm saying things that she said I've been saying about Tom since the first time I met him. He is always genuine. He is always loving. He is shockingly honest about his marriage, when the marriage that he was in when I first met him, with people. It's always been like that. But I don't think he connected to... Because people have been saying that about him for 25 years, what you just said. But now he's connected to it. Mm. That's all I was saying. Right? But you said you wanted to say something funny, though. Well, I, I didn't. I didn't want to make it light about the crying. So my, so I like. Right. I like to destigmatize and demystify mm-hmm. therapy. You can keep talking about this. People are still not going to go. People need to know right. that it has value. And here's what it feels like. Here's what I went through with it. And I don't understand the shame about mental health issues in this country. And that's why there's such a high suicide rate. Yep. And the solution is talking, not yeah. medicine. Or, or, or the solution is other people. Yeah, other people. Other people. Yeah. So, so I, right. so I had this this therapist who didn't come from a background like me, and so he said, "I want you to watch. Have you seen the movie Titanic? It was when Titanic was on." I said, uh, "No, I will never see the movie Titanic ever until I die." Not your thing. <laughs> Not my thing. And he said, "Well, something that will make you cry." And he wanted me to by myself watch something that that I would be open and allow myself to cry. No one had to know about it. So I just disregarded it for a few months. Then I was watching West Wing, and no one was home, and I was watching it, and there was this end, it's one season finale, I think season three, I just started crying, and I cried for an hour and a half, just sobbing on the ground, and it was the most cleansing thing, and so people need to know how it works, because they're going to go there, they're defensive, they they try to idealize everything, they have expectations, they're worried, they're nervous, just know you just go and you go, and the guy tells you you need to cry and watch Titanic. I was like, what are you talking about, Roland? It it, it just happens. It happens, and you don't even realize it. It's not like you, uh, I mean, to me, it's just the the tears are... 
you can't control. I mean, it just happens that it suddenly. And I'm going to tell you one really quick thing that you know, my wife. You know, when I came back and we were having a bad day, and she said, you know, I don't know that you've ever completely made amends to me. And I said, of course I've made amends. I've done it whatever. And then I pulled out my my book, my journal from. From uh, from Crossroads, and I had the "Do Not Said" letter to my wife that you <laughs> oh, write that because oh. you put everything in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I read that to her. They make amends for everything. And it, I, I, I just meant like to, I wanted to read it to be look at what I'm saying. And I was a puddle, weeping. I mean, like it was so weird. I just it is, as though I'd lost control of everything. And then she was, uh, you know, just and then she was like. That's good. That's good. <laughs> was that recently? Is that, is and, then that... I, and, and then I read my goodbye to to drugs letter, and, and it, it was so violent that oh. she made me quit reading it. Oh, but, wow. But but you know we it is you know it's it's it's, it's crying you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. For, well, let, it, let me it, share it, my crying it, story. I had it. I was on an airplane. I was watching yeah. a movie called In America about an Irish family that came. Oh, to this right. Country uh, yeah, and yeah. Lost oh my God. Yeah, Jay, and, Jay did some uh, Sheridan. Yeah, and, and I and I started going, and I and I went. Oh my God! For the first time, I was able to differentiate in that moment when I was having my tears that family's pain and that character's pain from what had been mobilized in me. That it, my narcissism was such that it would always be one and the same. I couldn't tell. I just was mobilized. You know, I just it's pain. It's pain. I got to make it. My codependency is what that was. And I, I have to relate so strongly. I have to make it stop in somebody else. And I thought, oh, that's that's his. But I still could feel it. And that was the that's first time that ever happened too. to me. Yeah. 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 So, guys, we kind of kind of wrap things up, Tom. As always, you know, it's just a privilege to talk to you about this stuff. And uh, good luck with all the trauma therapy. It'll be. I'd love to hear the progress, how it goes. It changes and morphs. And you, you're, you're. What, what is interesting? I'll tell you one thing to look forward to is your perspective on it will change. It's like you're looking at it from. You know what I mean? Like, like yes. somebody else is now looking at it. The new guy's looking at the trauma. As you move along, it will sort of morph and change, and, and, and new things will emerge, but you'll enjoy it much more as it goes along, <laughs> and it won't be quite so mysterious. I got it. Yeah. I got it. Well, again, uh, you know, like, like you've all said, I've surrendered. I've, I'm, you know, I am doing it. I'm present for it, and uh, I am... Uh, and uh, I'll talk to you in eight years. We'll <laughs> I'll talk to you along the way, hopefully. All right, Tommy, other than your podcast, anywhere else you want to refer people to anything else? Uh, just uh, check it out when you can. Uh, uh, Tom Arnold, 100% honest, pretty much, on uh, Podcast One. It's a great, or it's a great pod. It's a great pod. Do check out the one that um, Tom and I did because we went more into the Benzo thing. And Bob and I, you know, you will have, yeah. we'll have more Benzo conversations as oh, you and we'll I. Have them. Cheryl, thank oh, you man. for uh, being here for Tom and uh, being such a great representative of not just Alliance CSPP, but just of what therapy should be. So Talking is that. better than Benzos. Is that not true, Tom? <laughs> That is true. Okay. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> All right. It is true. That is true. I'll wrap it up. We'll I'm gonna, look, by the way, I'm going to put on this song, My Name is Luca, and Cry for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's, my, that's my cry and song. That so. You are Luca. Yeah, I know. That's, I know. I, I, I get right in there. So don't tell anybody that, though. All right, buddy. We'll All see right. you next time. Yeah. All right, guys. Bye. Good, I love good. you guys. Thank right. you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Look for Cheryl on the Burger King commercial from the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> was it 80s or 70s? What was it? I was the 80s. The 80s, yeah. It was the, the 80s. 80s. Yeah. I, uh, so, <laughs> did you see it? You should go find it. Uh, where can we find you?
You can find me at uh, com. A-R-U-T-T. Uh, A-R-U-T-T. You can find me on Twitter at drcherylarrett.com. And I have a new program mm-hmm. that I'm working on to help people rewire their brains so mm-hmm. that they can thrive and use all this? of the things that this? we're doing. Uh, you can find that in, on rewiretothrive.com. Oh, good well, we name. want to be part of that. Good name. I'm into that. Oh, by the way, be sure to check out doctor.com and uh, check out the family of podcasts that we have there. And we'll see you next time. It's okay, you'll find your way in the master.